Today's reading is taken from James chapter 4, reading from verse 1 to 12. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire, but do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with the wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think the scripture says without reason that he jealously longs for the spirits he has caused to dwell in us? But he gives us more grace. That is why scripture says, God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. Brothers and sisters, do not slander one another. Anyone who speaks against a brother or sister or judges them speaks against the law and judges it. When you judge the law, you are not keeping it, but sitting in judgment on it. There is only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and destroy. But you, who are you to judge your neighbor? This is the word of the Lord. Last week, we heard about two contrasting wisdoms. Firstly, true wisdom, the wisdom from above, from heaven, which shows itself by true humility, but also a false wisdom, an earthly wisdom, a wisdom from below, which shows itself in envy and selfish ambition, a desire to be first, whatever the cost. And James said that where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder, and every evil practice. This earthly wisdom creates a dog-eat-dog world where everyone is only looking out for themselves. Other people are there only to be pushed down in order to lift ourselves up or simply to be used as allies to our cause, creating factions and divisions as we seek to be first. It was a horrifying but all too familiar picture of the office, of the staff room, of the social club, of Westminster, of Whitehall, of nation states and the global stage. But most horrifyingly of all, too often true of the local church. But the heavenly wisdom shows itself in a good life, a life where every deed is coloured by humility, where James says in chapter 3 verse 18, peacemakers sow in peace and reap a harvest of righteousness. Where you have people who are truly wise, truly humble 
there you have peace and harmony. And in that peace and harmony, righteousness will grow. And God wants us to live righteous lives, not just because he tells us to, not just for his benefit, but for ours. What kind of world do you want to live in? A world of envy and selfish ambition, dog-eat-dog, or peace and harmony? Where there is true wisdom, there is peace. And where there is peace among God's people, there will be a harvest of righteousness. And so here's our question as we start today. Why is 318 peacemakers sowing in peace, reaping a harvest of righteousness? Why is that not a description of every church? And what can we do about it? Well, today we've got a very simple progression through three stages. Diagnosis, the problem with us. Prognosis, the consequences of our problem and cure, the prescription for our problem. Diagnosis, prognosis and cure. Well, why is chapter 3 verse 18 not a description of every church? Because every church is made up of people. The problem, of course, is us. James's diagnosis, our earthly desires. Verses 1 to 3, diagnosis, earthly desires. Verse 1 of chapter 4 begins, what causes fights and quarrels between you? James is asking, why? Why do we push ourselves forward? Why do we seek to be first? Why do we always want more? Why are we prepared to sacrifice others on the altar of our own success? And James immediately answers his own question, continuing in verse 1. Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? What is the cause of the envy and selfish ambition that we were thinking about last week? Our wants, our desires, our needs. That longing that each of us has for acceptance, for recognition, for respect. Envy of those who have what we want. Recognition, respect, position, power, money. Or selfish ambition as we try to push ourselves forward until we reach their level or beyond. And James says, don't these Fights and quarrels come from your desires that battle within you. You desire, but do not have, so you kill. You covet, but cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. Well, as we've been working through James, we've seen that you could never accuse James of understating his case. But surely this is wild overstatement. You desire, but do not have, so you kill. Even in the worst of churches, murder is uncommon. But let's think about it a little, kind of scratch a bit beneath the surface. Come with me for a moment to the fictional church of St Mildred's, where the highlight of the village year is the midnight carol service. And the highlight of the midnight carol service is at the moment at the beginning, where in hushed silence, a single chorister stands at the front of the church, illuminated by a single candle, and sings that famous solo first verse once in Royal David City. And the only people who compete more fiercely than the children in the running to sing that solo are their mothers. The two front runners are Cecily and Marie. Their 
mothers are Celia and Maria. Anyone with ears knows that in all honesty, while Marie has a nice voice, Cecily is the better singer. But everyone also knows that Maria's husband plays golf with the choir master and that the choir master and his wife are regulars at Maria's famous dinner parties along with several other influential members of the church and choir. The day of the announcement comes and surprise surprise it is Marie and not Cecily who will be singing the solo. Maria of course is delighted and Celia is devastated. Ask Celia how she feels about Maria and she has one answer. She's dead to me. From that day forth, the two women never speak to one another again. Well, OK, it's more the archers than CSI or the bill. There won't be a police investigation. But between those two women, supposedly sisters in Christ, supposedly fellow members of Jesus' body, those for whom Christ died to unite to make his church one. Well, there's a sense in which Celia's words are true when she says she's dead to me. Now, I deliberately chose an illustration not from St Helens. We don't do a solo for once in Royal David City. But it's not exactly in the realms of fantasy, is it? I can think of situations at St Helens that are all too similar. Someone gets in someone else's way, someone treads on someone else's toes. And when someone crosses us, when someone stands in the way of our plans, when we can't get our own way, how easy to think that they have now forfeited their right to our time or attention or affection and we will no longer have anything to do with them because they got in the way of our plans our agenda. And maybe we don't even cut them off completely. We still smile, at least on the outside, and say good morning, but we've got no time for them really. They might as well not exist. Fellow Christians, fellow members of Jesus's body, other people for whom Christ died to unite his church, to make us one, what is wrong with us? How can we be like this and yet claim to be Christian? It is because we don't have the wholehearted faith, the all the way through faith that we've been thinking about all this series. We are double minded. And this double mindedness reveals hearts that are not fully in love with God, but are also in love with the world. And James has an ugly word to describe this ugly situation. Adultery. Verse 4, you adulterous people. And this brings us to our second point, prognosis, opposition from God. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend with the world becomes an enemy of God. Now, if we know our Bibles, then although this accusation, you adulterous people, well, is still shocking, as a description of sin, it should be no surprise to us. 
See, the Bible is a love story between God and his people, but it is often a painful story where God's people are unfaithful to him again and again. The Old Testament book of Hosea is a striking and somewhat grim exploration of this theme. The prophet Hosea's wife has left him for another man, but God tells him to take her back with these words. Hosea says, the Lord said to me, go, show your love to your wife again, though she is loved by another man and is an adulteress. Love her as the Lord loves the Israelites, though they turn to other gods. God says that the way his people turn from him and to idols, false gods, for protection, for provision, for satisfaction, is like spiritual adultery, like Hosea's wife turning from him to another man for protection, for provision, for satisfaction. In the Old Testament, the adulterous partner of choice for God's people was idolatry. But in the New Testament, it is worldliness. James says again, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity with God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Now, we have to think carefully about this because it's easy to get confused about this reference to the world. God made the world. Did not God say that he made this world and that it was good? Well, James is not referring to the natural created world, the world of trees and flowers and plants, of animals and humans, and the infinite range of creative activities that we're able to take part in and enjoy. Cooking and art and sports and work and rest and picnics and barbecues and family get-togethers. When James says the world here, he means the world in rebellion against God. The way that our culture happily receives those good gifts in the natural world, these good things, but turns them into ultimate things. Instead of looking to God for protection, provision and satisfaction, instead of seeing the gifts in this world as gifts from God, meant to point us back to him and his love for us, rather we turn to those very gifts themselves for protection provision and satisfaction and we turn our backs on God. We are an adulterous people. And how do we expect God to feel about this? Verse 4 again, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Do you think that scripture says without reason that God jealously longs for the spirit he has caused to dwell in us. Now again there's a potential misunderstanding that we need to head off here. Were we not last week thinking about how our jealousy, our envy is a powerful negative force? Well why then does God say here that, sorry James say here that God jealously longs for us? Well the very metaphor of marriage helps us to make perfect sense of what is going on. Last year, on the 9th of November 2019, at St Catherine's Birkenhead, uh, I was asked by the presiding minister, Andrew, will you take grace to be your wife? And forsaking all others, will you be faithful to her as long 
as you both shall live. Marriage is God's picture of his relationship with his people. And so when we become Christians, it is as if we are promising to God, yes, I will forsake all other gods and be faithful only to you. That we will put our trust only in the one true God, Father, Son and Holy Spirit. That we will look to him and him alone for protection, provision and satisfaction and not to the world. And so when we turn away from God and look elsewhere, is it not right that God is jealous for our affections? A while back, Grace told me about a documentary she'd watched, I think it was a Louis Theroux, where a female prostitute who had entered that life voluntarily in her 60s was being interviewed as she sat next to her husband of several decades. And in the interview, this lady was saying how wonderful it was that she was able to fulfil herself with this lifestyle and that her husband was totally okay with it. And I think the reason that probably stuck with me, that story, is because it's just so wrong. No husband should be okay with his wife sleeping with other men, looking to them instead of him to satisfy their wants and needs. And actually Grace said that even as his wife was being interviewed, you could see on the husband's face, he wasn't okay with it at all. Of course he wasn't. But that is how we treat God when we live not by heavenly wisdom, but by earthly wisdom. When we let envy and selfish ambition take the reins, when we turn to the world instead of to God to fulfil our wants and our needs, then we see our spiritual adultery. Our faith does not go all the way through our double mindedness is exposed. And if anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God, well then what hope do we have? No hope. No hope in ourselves. No hope other than the grace of God. Look with me at verse 6. But he gives us more grace. That is why the scripture says God opposes the proud but shows favour to the humble. And so thirdly we come to the cure. Humbly submit to God. Verses 6 to 10. Again, as we saw last week, true wisdom shows itself in true humility. Whereas earthly wisdom shows itself in pride, in envy, selfish ambition, our longing for acceptance and recognition and respect. Our flirting with the world is a desire for self-affirmation. What is the cure for pride? The cure for pride is humility. To say to God, you are right and I am wrong. I humble myself before you and I submit to you. Verse 7. Submit yourselves then to God. And this is beyond just an external formal obedience. One of the commentators says this, the readiness to submit ourselves to others 
is a characteristic of humility. We can obey others without any humility, acting either under compulsion or from motives of convenience. But we can only truly submit ourselves to others when we recognise that they are greater and better and worthy of honour than ourselves. Submission to God and the possession of a truly humble spirit cannot be separated. Submitting ourselves to God is to recognise that he is worthy of our obedience and indeed of our affection. What does it look like? Well, James outlines it for us in three quick pairs. Firstly, in verses seven and eight, pair one, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. We must turn our backs on the world, resist the devil and turn to God. And as we do so, he will turn back to us in love. Pair two, continuing in verse eight, wash your hands, you sinners, purify your hearts, you double-minded. We are to cleanse ourselves, repent, turn away from all known sin in our lives and purify our hearts, no longer double-minded, no longer looking over our shoulder at the world. And then pair three, verse nine, grieve, mourn and wail, change your laughter to mourning, change your joy to gloom. Not that we should never laugh, not that there isn't joy in the Christian life, see chapter one, verse two, but we should take our sins seriously and not lightly. We should not laugh over our sin. Do we genuinely grieve over our sin? Not just for its consequences, but over our sin for its own sake for how offensive it is to God. Do we, do we grieve over how we have grieved God with our spiritual adultery? That will be the mark of the truly humble, repentant sinner, of the true Christian. Well, that was painfully brief. And so this afternoon's communion service, we're gonna spend 10 minutes just meditating on those three pairs and what they mean in practice. If you're not able to join us, don't worry, I know not everyone can, and so we'll put a video on the website as well, on YouTube rather. As we close then, the final wonderful verse, verse 10. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. The wonder of the Christian faith is that when we humble ourselves, when we submit ourselves to God, then he will in fact give us everything we were seeking in the world and more. We flirt with the world because we long for self-affirmation. We long for acceptance, for recognition. We long to mean something. All of that can be ours in Christ. Because those who turn back to God, who submit themselves to him, will be lifted up with Christ, now in our status before God and in the sight of all on the last day when Jesus returns and those who belong to him will reign with him. Submit yourselves then to God, humble yourself before the Lord and he will 
lift you up. Amen.